Good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you in person on what is a very big day in the modern history of our nation. So I'm going to try and keep mentions of the F word to a minimum this morning, football. Now, regardless of whether or not you think it's coming home tonight, or not, Callum shaking his head, no. Um, I think one thing we can all agree on is that this tournament has really brought the nation together. Wherever you go, there's a real sense of optimism. There's a buzz, almost like we're at the dawn of a new era in some way for our, for our nation. Kind of feels like that for us, for us as a church as well at the moment, doesn't it? We've... We're now able to meet in person after over a year of meeting just online. We've come to a new premises. So, and there's a real sense of of a new beginning. We've already heard God speaking about newness today, new exercise book, a sort of a surgery operation on the heart, new beginnings. And there is a sense of that kind of optimism in the church, which kind of mirrors what's going on in the football. Of course, in the football, we're seeing flags everywhere. We're seeing the St. George's Cross from 10 Downing Street. In fact, my next-door neighbour's put up a big flagpole. It's got a huge flag waving in the wind. And for those of us who have been at KCC for, for some time, we know that one of the hallmarks of a KCC meeting, of an in-person KCC meeting, are the flags that we have at the front of the hall. Every Sunday, we would have flags representing the nationalities of each nation in the church. A great visual statement of colour. So we would have these little flag holders and we'd have flags either side of the stage. Vibrant, colourful, giving a sense of warmth to the hall that we were meeting in. Of course, we haven't got them here at the moment because we're still transitioning, we're still figuring out what we're doing in terms of how we're meeting with all our equipment and so forth. But traditionally, we always have the flags. And of course, anyone who set the flags up, especially packing down the flags, knows that they're a bit of a headache, aren't they, to get into these tubes, these long, these long poles that we have, the large flags. Got to kind of roll them up, and it's like Tetris trying to put them in the tubes. Bit of a pain. But we do it week in and week out. But the question is, why do we do that? What is the message that we're giving by having these flags out on display, apart from just looking like a nice bit of decor? It's actually a very powerful statement. What we're saying to anyone who comes into the hall is, you are welcome here. Whatever your nationality, whatever your tongue, whatever your tribe, whatever your culture, You are welcome here in the house of the Lord. That's a very powerful statement of who we are as a church. And as a church, I think we are, we do a great job at being very outward looking and very international focused. We have international Sundays where, again, prior to COVID, we would have a day where we celebrate the different races in the church and we celebrate with food, with outfits. I know some people have got some quite colourful outfits representing the nations they come from. And it's amazing. Some of the dishes, if 
you've not been to one of those, you're in for a treat when we have the next one. But we even did it online. When we couldn't meet in person, we still had an International Sunday celebration. We have people in this church who have followed the call of God to serve overseas in different nations. So we are very focused and outward-looking in serving other nations. The message we're looking at today from the book of Acts is very much the origin of why we have these flags, why we visually declare that we are accepting of all nations and all races and all tribes and all tongues. Because it's where, it's where God's heart is. And we're going to look at a very powerful story from the book of, book of Acts, which, where, where we are continuing our series on powerful, transformative encounters with people, which literally have gone on to change the world. So today, we are looking at Peter's vision. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapters 10 and 11 today. And to kind of set the scene of the scriptures that we're looking at, we are looking at two guys today. A guy called Cornelius, who's in the Italian army, and Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. Key difference here between these two guys is Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter is a Jew. Very different. A Gentile basically means of the nations. Not any specific nation, just of the nations in general. So if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. Now, Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. It was against the law. In fact, it was a taboo. If Jews were to go to the house of a Gentile, it would be a, a big no-no in their culture. These were very distinct and very separate groups of people. What we're going to see in the scripture is how God speaks very powerfully to a Gentile, Cornelius, and he also speaks very powerfully to a Jew, Peter. And we're going to see how, when God speaks to those two different people, how they come together and what happens. So I'm going to read uh, from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8, to begin with, where we're going to look at Cornelius. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So what we have here is Cornelius, who is a God-fearing man. He seeks God and he gives generously. An angel has told him to come, to go and fetch for Peter. Go and fetch for Peter. So Cornelius obeys. He sends some guys out to go and fetch Peter to bring Peter back to his house. Remember, Cornelius is a Gentile and he's he's gone out. He sent people to go and get a Jew 
to bring back to his house. So we're going to read now from verse 9, Peter's vision. So this is where God speaks to Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So Peter has had a very vivid and at first glance quite strange vision. If you could imagine like one of these curtains, for example, coming down from heaven full of strange unclean animals. Well, what, is, what is that? What does that mean? It actually refers to the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus where God gives Moses very clear instructions about types of animal that could and could not be eaten. An unclean animal was an animal that, that you could not eat. It was detestable to the Lord. So that would have been things like pigs, rats, bats, eagles, vultures, lizards, chameleons, rabbits. These types of animals were forbidden. So these were the types of animals that Peter would have seen coming down in, a, in what's described as a sheet coming down from heaven. And God is telling him to get up, kill and eat what he's seeing. And he's like saying, no, surely not, Lord. This is against our our rules, our traditions, our culture. No, this, isn't, this is not, this is not, doesn't make any sense. And Peter actually has to wonder about this vision. What does it mean? It says, it says here in verse 17 that he's wondering about the meaning of the vision. In verse 19, he's thinking about the vision. And what becomes clear to Peter is that this vision is not actually about food. This vision is actually about people, not food. And we see this in further down, it's not on the screen, in verse 28 of chapter 10, Peter comes to the realisation that God has shown me that I should not call any man pure or unclean. God has shown me that I should not call any man pure or unclean. In the vision... God has told Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
So this is referring to people, not animals. And, of course, we already know that the most most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, arguably the most famous verse of all, Jesus himself says, for God so loved the world. Not any particular part of the world, any particular continent or country, the world, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever should believe in him. So again, not any particular group of people. Whoever. So God loves the whole world, and whoever believes in him shall not perish. And Peter has come to the realisation, through meditating on what the meaning of this vision is, that in verse 34 of chapter 10, Peter says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter understands through this vision, which any, any Jewish person, person of the time would have been shocked by because it was so vivid and relevant to their culture about cleanliness and uncleanliness, that God wants to reach every tribe, tongue and nation, that no one is beyond the limits and the reach of God. God's heart is big, so big that he, he encompasses the whole world. And when Peter realises that, He has no hesitation. The Spirit tells him to go to these people who have come to fetch him, and he goes to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. Again, breaking all the social taboos of the time. Imagine clean, clean Jewish leaders going to the house of an unclean Gentile, spending time with them, eating with them. But it's like the veil has been fallen off from Peter's eyes, and his worldview has been transformed when he understands the meaning of the vision God has given him. So Peter and the Jewish leaders that he's with go to the house of Cornelius. And when they're there, Peter then goes on to preach to these Gentiles. He speaks to them about the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. And um, this is uh, chapter 10, verse 44, 46. While Peter is preaching to the Gentiles... There's a shock. Something, something happens. Something unexpected happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, so he's preaching about Jesus to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, these would be the, the fellow Jews, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So what's happened here? The Holy Spirit has come on the Gentiles, which the Jews were not expecting at all. They thought, you know, the Holy Spirit was was, was for them, for us. The Holy Spirit's not for them because they're Gentiles, but he's for us because we're Jews. No. God God has miraculously shown that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for everybody. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's an incredible moment. And in fact, this vision of Peter's is so important that it's actually replicated again pretty much word for word in chapter 11. God really wants us to get a hold of this vision. It's so powerful and it's world-changing. And when he, of course, when word gets out as to what Peter's done, he's gone to the house of the Gentiles, 
He has preached to them. They've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fellow Jews are not happy at all. They're fuming. Again, it's not, it's not what they expected. It's not what they wanted. They thought, these people are unclean. These people are unclean. What, what are we doing mixing with them? But when Peter explains what God has revealed to him through the vision, he explains everything that's happened to Cornelius. The fellow Jews that he speaks to are stunned and they are overcome with the powerful realisation that God is for everyone. In chapter 11, verse 18, in the ESV translation, it says this. After Peter has spoken to, those, to his fellow Jews, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Then to the Gentiles also. And they fell silent at that realisation. But they glorified God. Their hearts in turn were transformed. Their worldview had also been transformed. And this was like a landmark moment in the history of the church. This made the gospel something which they really wanted to get out to everybody when they realised God's heart was for the, was for the nations. So it's, it's unlocked everything and made... And it, again, going back to our flags, this is, in many ways is one of the reasons why we have our flags. And I think we, as a church, we really do echo this really beautifully, really powerfully. But what is the state of, of our hearts today, though? Well, we have flags, and it's a, great, it's a great statement. In this season of newness, of new beginnings, of unexpected, uncertain times still, we don't know what the future holds. I felt God kind of wanted us to be reminded of this, of his statement of intent for welcoming people of all different nations, people who don't look like us, who don't dress like us, who don't sound like us, different backgrounds. I believe God would say, look, his heart is for everybody. In Romans 10, 12, 13, the scripture says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Now, in all the excitement of the F-word football, there is also the Wimbledon final today. And I love tennis. I, I've always loved it since I was a kid. And years ago, I thought, do you know what? The easiest way for me to get tickets for Wimbledon and maybe even to get to play on their courts, because let's face it, I'm never going to win it, you know, or, or qualify, um, is just to become a member of the All England Club. So I, I got in touch with them years ago, and I said, you know, can I join your club? You know, how do I do that? Can I join? They sent me this really lovely letter. It came through the post. I was really excited. I was, I was quite young at, the, at that time. had a nice, um, sort of the All England Club logo on it, nice heavy cream-coloured envelope, heavy watermarked paper. And they were telling me very politely, no. <laughs> and how they said it was, oh, thank you for your interest. Um, we're so, we're so pleased that you, you're interested in joining our club. Um, to let you know that you need to be nominated, uh, proposed, and seconded by existing members of the club who have to have known each other for so many years, and they all have to have been members of the club for so many years. Oh, and also we've got a waiting list that dates back to the 1920s. <laughs> so they couldn't really 
make it any clearer that they didn't want me to be in their club or that I wasn't going to get into their club. And, you know, aren't we just so thankful that, that the church, of, the house of the Lord isn't like that? That you were nominated by the Lord, proposed by the Lord Jesus and seconded by the Holy Spirit. As Stevie Wonder would say, your sign sealed delivered. You're in. <laughs> and it's just a great privilege that we celebrate that and that we make that truth available to all who would come here. So I'm just going to um, close in prayer and I'm going to um, hand back to the band afterwards. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are here in this place together declaring your goodness and the hearts that you have for us. Thank you for the timeless truth that whoever calls on your name will be saved, Lord, regardless of race, culture, nationality, creed, tribe, or tongue. Thank you, Lord, that we are one family in you. Thank you, Lord, that your heart is so big that you love people, all of us who are made in your image, Lord. And we declare today that we love you, Lord, and we seek to follow the hearts that you have for people, Lord. Pray that we would emulate that day by day. And we give you glory today in your name. Amen.